0: I am Sarah Seidner, and this is CNN Tonight. Something very unexpected is happening in less than 24 hours. A surprise January 6 hearing is now on the calendar for tomorrow. But the House Select Committee wasn't even supposed to meet this week. What changed? Few details are trickling out. But the panel does say, quote, recently obtained evidence will be presented and it will receive witness testimony. A lot of intrigue there, especially because we know the committee's been closely poring over new documentary footage that surfaced from a British filmmaker who had close access to former President Donald Trump and his family before and after January 6th. A lot more on that ahead, along with the brand new developments tonight on one of the central figures of the election interference attempt, who pleaded the fifth to the committee 100 times. The feds have seized the phone of former Trump election attorney John Eastman. There is the video there. He is being detained. What it could mean for him and potentially former President Trump. That's coming up. But first to the fury and fear on one side and jubilation on the other, still palpable in our nation in this first week since the Supreme Court overturned the constitutional right to an abortion. Its ruling means it is now up to the states to decide whether to allow abortions. Protests against the ruling are growing, but so too is the fight by those who want to ban abortion altogether. And to their delight, a cascade of new abortion bans went into place in the hours after the ruling. As of tonight, 10 states effectively banned abortion. This is truly historic. Tonight, we're about to illuminate the impact this four-day-old decision will have on the future for many. One by one, we are seeing more than half the states in America moving swiftly to implement laws to outlaw abortions or restrict them greatly. But as the battles play out, the state of play is changing tonight. A federal judge today lifted a ban on South Carolina's so-called heartbeat law, while Utah's trigger law is on hold this evening after a judge granted Planned Parenthood's request for a temporary restraining order. And simultaneously, we're seeing a coalition of nearly two dozen states' attorneys general reaffirming their commitment to keeping abortion legal, even expanding access to abortion care. So with a longtime precedent being overturned, it begs the question, does president actually mean anything anymore?
1: The president is
2: important, but sometimes the president... Is outdated or wrong?
0: And of course, that's Republican Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, who helped reshape this court, which has so far rolled back decades of precedent. Let's zoom in now on how the upending of Roe versus Wade has upended many lives already. Andrea Gallegos is executive administrator of two abortion clinics in two states that have outlawed abortion, one in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and another in San Antonio, Texas. She joins us now. Thank you for being here.
3: Thank you for having me, Sarah.
0: Can you describe to me exactly what happened when the news came down and you found out about the Supreme Court's ruling? What happened in your clinic when that decision came down? So I
3: think it's important to remember that Oklahoma and Texas have been in a post Roe you know state um, since the very restrictive laws have already gone into effect in those states. Um, But the morning of the decision um, really solidified um, the future for our states and others. Um, In San Antonio, Texas, we had patients in the clinic with us that we were then forced to um, tell that we could not provide their services that day and it was really painful. It was painful for them, and it was painful for for us to deliver that news as well.
0: I know because of HIPAA laws, you can't tell us who, but can you give us a sense of where these patients were in the process, maybe an age of someone? Was there somebody who, for example, was in just before the procedure that was told to leave? What exactly happened to your patients?
3: Sure. We had uh, called a patient back into a room and had her get ready for her sonogram uh, and then had to ask her to get dressed and go back to the waiting room to get ready to hear the news um, from the physician who had to make the announcement that morning. Uh, We had, um, you know, the decision came in just shortly after nine. So we had a group of maybe 10 or 12 patients that had arrived already. And um, we're expecting to get services, expecting to receive their pill, to have the surgical procedure done. Um, And, you know, we had to deliver that devastating news that it it was not going to be possible that day.
0: Can I ask you how they reacted when you told these patients that, look, um, it is no longer viable for us to do this. It it would be considered against the law. And you have to leave.
3: Um, Hysteria, confusion, anger, despair, um, those were all the emotions in the room, and um, it—you know—we we all felt it. There were tears from uh, patients. There were tears from staff. Um, it was incredibly difficult. It's something that I—I I don't think um, the uh, folks behind these laws understand what it means for someone uh, facing this already incredible difficult decision, and now asking them to you know, flee their home state in order to access health care.
0: Is that what many of them, did they tell you what they were going to do next? Was there anyone that, for example, said, you know what, I'm going to change my mind um, because now that this is against the law here, I'm going to go ahead and have this child?
3: Um, There was a little of both, uh, but mostly because the idea of having to travel, the idea of Um, finding the means to be able to do that just seems so unrealistic for so many patients. Um, And so the reality of, you know, does this mean that I'm going to have a a forced pregnancy? Um, And then you had others that said, you know, despite all odds, they would have to make it out of state that they had no other choice. They had to get this done and they would find a way. Um, and I, you know, I think we're going to see uh, a lot of, of both of those scenarios. These bans do not stop abortion. Uh, women will still seek access. We're just making it incredibly difficult uh, for women to make important health care decisions.
0: How do you respond to those who are very happy and been fighting for decades uh, to stop abortions from happening in this country and who truly believe that they are saving lives?
3: I would ask them to think of uh, the lives of pregnant women Uh, think of the woman with a fetal anomaly that finds out at 18, 19, 20 weeks and can't get an abortion in her home state. Um, Think about the minor who was raped and can't get an abortion in her home state. Uh, these are lives too. These are lives that are going to be greatly impacted by um, these uh, these bans, and we have to remember, you know, abortion is is healthcare. It's safe. It's easy, and it should be accessible to everyone, despite their geographical location.
0: Can you give me a sense? Are most people um, accessing? pills um, that cause abortions or coming in to the clinic um, to have you do it in a different way? What is happening when it comes to those two options?
3: Um, So in Texas, uh, you know, 299 days ago, September 1st, 2021, when SB8 first went into law, um, which basically restricted abortion past uh, six weeks you know, the majority of patients began choosing pills, medication abortion, which is so simple. Um, It's easy and safe. Um, You know, the the first pill is taken in the clinic and the next set of pills are taken safely at home. And uh, the uh, abortion continues at home and in the privacy of their own home. And Um, this is, you know, a very reliable option. And then other patients would choose the surgical procedure. So a little bit of both, but we definitely saw an increase um, since after SB8 passed.
0: Uh, Do you worry about what's going to happen going forward? There are a lot of folks who would like to see this criminalized, would like to see providers like you criminalized um, for performing abortions. Will you stop performing abortions. I know you're not doing it in the state right now. What what will you do? Um,
3: so, you know, we are hoping that um, we can have some legal resolution of what's happening right now in Texas. Uh, we were supposed to have 30 days from when Roe was decided with the trigger ban. But the attorney general stepped in and and said that pre-Roe law could be enforced immediately, causing criminal penalty, which is why we stopped immediately. We should have been able to continue under uh, our Texas trigger ban. Um, so we're hoping to have some relief and, and maybe be able to get back to um, providing abortions for a short period. Of course, that's not the long term because, um, you know, eventually we will not be able to in Texas. So, you know, providers I think around um, all of these restrictive states are considering what's next. Uh, Do we move to a friendly state and um, help provide access to more women seeking?
0: All right. Thank you so much, Andrea Gallegos. Uh, When we return, The next front in the post-Roe battle, you'll hear from an activist on the other side of this fight trying to ban abortion rights completely, plus a physician who provides abortion on her biggest concerns for women who won't be able to get access to safe abortions after this ruling. That's ahead. The debate over abortion has been inflamed once again. A new battle is brewing after the Supreme Court decision on Friday overturning Roe v. Wade. Protesters on both sides of the debate are re-energizing and promising to go to the polls this year. So we talked to people very much involved in this new battle. One, a physician who performs abortions and other reproductive care. The other, one of the young, new activists working to ban abortions outright. We love life! all over america the signs are clear after 49 years the battle over abortion rights has been re-energized because the supreme court ruled there is no longer a constitutional right to abortion
4: we know that um, banning abortion doesn't take away the need for abortion so people are still going to do whatever it takes to get that care
0: Mira Shaw is a physician and activist who provides abortions and other health care at a Planned Parenthood clinic.
4: I have cared for the protesters and I treat
0: them the exact same way that I would treat any patient. Are you saying that a protester has had an abortion?
4: Absolutely. I have seen that in my career that I have provided abortion care to a protester outside of one of our health centers. Fight
5: for
0: life! Lila Rose is fighting to ban abortion rights completely. Her group Live Action is at the forefront of a new generation of women who believe abortion is not only wrong, but criminal.
4: We were thrilled learning that the Roe v. Wade had been overturned, it's not complete justice.
0: Do you think abortion should be criminalized? In other words, doctors and people who help women have abortions and women themselves should be arrested or fined. Abortion is homicide and it should be treated as such. So what you're saying is that women in your estimation should not have a choice about abortion and that should be the law of the land.
4: Homicide should not be something that is permitted, celebrated, tax funded in our communities
0: period. Dr. Shaw fears that is where the next round of this fight may be headed. At least 10 states have effectively banned abortion since Friday's ruling, although two bans are already being challenged in court. Another five states are expected to enact trigger laws, limiting abortions in the coming days and weeks. Soon, abortion could be illegal or extremely limited in more than half of America. At least nine states looking to ban abortion have no exception for rape or incest. If a woman is raped or she's impregnated by a relative, why should that woman have to go through with the pregnancy and bring that baby into this world?
4: Rape is horrific, but the solution to sexual violence, if there's a pregnancy that has resulted, abortion is not going to take away the trauma that that woman or girl endured. Another act of violence is not gonna stop the circle of violence.
0: Texas has already passed a law that criminalizes abortion providers.
4: After SB 8 was passed in Texas in September 2021, uh, we saw patients from Texas come to us for abortion care. And we anticipate that influx of patients is going to increase. She is seven weeks, seven weeks,
0: four days. Okay, any medical problems? No, no. Dr. Shaw argues all bans do is traumatize women, especially the poor and medically underserved, as these clinics can be their only access to any health care at all. Shaw and Rose do agree on one thing.
4: I mean, our country has devastatingly poor maternal mortality, bad maternal mortality rates, especially among black women. I'm sure you're aware that there's a really high rate of maternal mortality
0: and morbidity among people of color. Shaw says abortion is only one of the many options she gives. As a physician, I know that abortion care is health care. Rose Brussels at that.
4: So abortion is not health care and, and helping women uh, lower maternal mortality rates. Why should a woman
0: not have agency over
4: her body? Well, of course a woman should have agency over her own body. What we're contesting and what we're acknowledging is that in a pregnancy, there's two bodies.
0: And so enters yet another dispute. Is a fetus a person who should enjoy the same human rights? Here are the words of one of the five justices who overturned Roe v. Wade during his confirmation hearings.
6: A fetus is not a person.
0: No matter what science says, Dr. Shaw says history has shown, legal or not, women will get abortions. The question is, will they be safe or potentially deadly? So people are still going to do whatever it takes to get that care, you know, whether that means that they're
4: going to travel to other states um, or seek pills online. Abortion.
0: There are so many looming questions on both sides of the debate. I'm going to bring in a team of great minds to explore the possibilities and look at why Democrats didn't make Roe the law of the land when they had the opportunity. Coming up next. The warning from some physicians and abortion providers is this. Banning abortions does not eliminate the need for one. It only eliminates safe abortions and the ability to seek them without fear of criminal prosecution. Consider just how many women have had an abortion in the United States. And this number, by the way, surprised me. According to the latest data from 2020, Guttmacher Institute estimates more than 930,000 women legally got the procedure. That number on the rise again after a long-term decline in the 1980s. It fell about half. Joining me now to discuss Van Jones, Jennifer Rogers, and Carrie Sheffield. Thank you all for joining me again tonight. Um, let's talk about this. We've just heard from two people. We've heard from a uh, provider of abortions and other health care and a young woman who is sort of at the forefront of the push to stop abortions completely in this country. And one of the things that she said that I thought was uh, stark was, look, in her estimation, this is homicide and eventually People should be charged with homicide. Going forward, states are talking about keeping women from being able to, for example, go to another state because that could be criminalized. What's the future look like? We'll start with you legally.
2: It looks like chaos, Sarah, complete chaos because you have 50 states, about half of which are going to restrict abortion significantly or ban it altogether. They're going to do it in different ways. Some will have an absolute ban. No exceptions for life of the mother. No exceptions for health of the mother. No exceptions for rape. No exceptions for incest. They'll want to reach out beyond the borders of their own state to get women who travel away to get a procedure in another state. They'll want to criminalize even the Uber driver who takes you to a clinic. You know, there are really no bounds to what states are going to try to do. The question is, what will the courts do when these are inevitably brought into litigation? And while all that is happening over the next months and years, people don't know what they're allowed to do, what they're not allowed to do. I mean, it's going to be... Uh, complete, complete chaos as a legal matter.
0: And sure. I can tell you, having talked to some of the providers and some of the doctors, they have said this very thing, that there is a lot of confusion out there. Um, Carrie, I do want to ask you, we heard from Lila Rose, uh, who is very pointed and, and has really made her, her point, and a lot of people have followed along um, and backed her, that abortion is homicide, and homicide should be prosecuted like everything else. Do you follow that same Thought process, should women be criminalized for having an abortion?
5: I love Lila Rose. I think what she's done with her work and and just saving the lives of millions of unborn, I bless her, um, first of all. And then secondly, in terms of punishment, I think that the punishment should be geared toward the providers. Um, I do think, though, that that number that you you pointed out, 930,000 abortions, that is not safe, legal, and rare. The key word, Democrats failed They failed, they failed. That's why this is such a shock to the system is because Democrats failed to make abortion rare. And that is the truth and that is why we have so many lives and that is why people like myself and Lila Rose see this as a human rights crisis issue because as she rightfully said, this is two bodies at stake. Yes, a woman has the right to autonomy of her body, but when immediately a conception, there is the exact DNA for a completely separate human being, completely separate body. And so that is the, the, the issue here at stake, that that person is imbued with human rights. And that is really what we need to be protecting. And the fact that we are going to have, yes, there will be different laws on the books, I think that it's... Uh, you know, we talked about whether a federal law on either side. I know uh, earlier on this network that uh, you know, Kamala Harris and others were talking about getting you know Democrats to pass a federal ban on abortion. I'm not sure that it actually would be legal on either side because of the Constitution. I think what we would have to have is a is a uh, an actual amendment to the Constitution, and I don't think we have the votes, as the vice president said.
0: Do you think though that women should be criminalized? I think your answer was no. The providers, you said yes. But women seeking abortions, no, correct?
5: I, th- I think that the providers should face the strictest penalties. Um, I think that women and men should be held accountable. And that's the other piece of the equation is the men. The men who aid in a bet and are not responsible. Because let's not forget that it was seven men who decided Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade allows for the sexual recklessness of men. It allows for them to not be held responsible. And in the same way that we require child support for uh, you know a child who has been born out of the boom, I think that we should allow, require men actually, uh, to be responsible for when they impregnate a woman. And, and if you look at, at the reasons why women say that they get abortion, many of them say because they feel abandoned by their men. And so I think this is an important cultural moment where we're going to reset the conversation and we're going to say, men, you need to be part of this. You need to be responsible. We're not going to allow seven men in robes to dictate something that is a a lowercase d Democrat process. And that is, I think, the beauty of what's happened here with this ruling is that instead of, you know, firebombing and Molotov cocktailing these pro-life centers, let's have an honest conversation about life and whether abortion is legal, safe and rare in this country, because right now it's not.
0: The firebombing and things have happened on both sides of this argument. We know that abortion clinics have also um, been attacked over the years. I do want to bring something up that you said. You said that, th- that this is not rare, but the numbers have gone down, according to the CDC, by half since 1980. So there are fewer abortions than there were in the 1980s. I do want to talk to you, Van, uh, about something that Carrie said. She said that, you know, Democrats basically haven't done their due diligence. And there is a question. Democrats have had 49 years to codify this and put it into law. Why didn't they do it when they had the chance, when they were in power? And I'm not just talking about now. I'm talking about in the years leading up
1: to this decision. Well, I mean, because it was a constitutional right recognized by the Supreme Court, um, right now there's a right for uh, marriage equality. Um, The Supreme Court could take that away from tomorrow and you could say, well, why didn't we put that into law? Well, right now it is the law. It's really hard to pass a law to give people a right they already have. (laughs) And so I think that's part of the problem. The other thing is, look, um, you're going to get what you uh, are asking for, and you may not like it, uh, in that um, a year from now, there are going to be rapists who have women who have been forced to have their children. Those rapists are then going to say, I have a right to see that child.
0: That's happened already. That's already happened.
1: There there, there are child molesters who are going to have Uh, who are going to be saying, I have a right to see the child created by my molestation. You're going to get what you want, but I don't think you're going to like it as as, as much as you think. And you're going to have people now, this is no longer going to be theoretical. This is going to be a living nightmare for millions of American families. There are people right now, young women, who are packing their bags to get ready to go to college right now, who we know statistically are going to be raped. And your answer to them is, enjoy your pregnancy. That is despicable. It is wrong, and it is not going to stand in this country. You're going to get what you want. I don't think you're
0: going to like it very much. Excuse me, Van. But is he? Is he uh, correct? Show Let me, me ask you, Carrie. Let me ask me you Give me a quickly. judge.
5: Give me the name of a judge. Who would allow visitation custody in this situation. Well, I can't if, think of a single you're, you're, you just judge who would say you just No, no, no. no, the There's a difference between be allowing a child so, so. I'm say I'm talking about preventing an abortion. That's what I'm talking about. Okay,
1: well, hold That's a all
0: but I'm did,
5: talking about. Gotta, did I say anything hamburger? about visitation? No, eat I did the not. whole hamburger no. here. No, sir. Carrie, no, let me yes, ask you
0: about what Van just said. He talked about rape and incest. Lila Rose who who we just talked to. Uh, said that there should not be an exception. And there are several states, I think there are nine states, that do not allow an exception for abortion for rape and incest. Do you agree with that?
5: I agree with that. Because it's a human life. Whether a human life is conceived in violence or in love, it is still an act of violence to commit murder of that innocent child. And so... I do not agree with the rapist getting visitation rights and I don't think any judge in their right mind would agree with that van and so it's it's quite quite just you're using a talking point to talk it's not about I'm point.
1: No, no, I'm listening to you no, I'm, sorry, I'm taking your having, talking points to the logical no, conclusion no. so so, so you're, I'm
5: saying I'm saying I'm saying a rapist say a more should, should, uh, uh, should uh, 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 any male who impregnates uh, uh, a woman should not uh, be in a bed abortion of the second. that's my it's point.
1: already the I don't mean to be rude here it's already the law that if I impregnate a woman and she has the child, that I'm responsible for that child. And you have a lot of dads right now who are considered deadbeat dads because they're not doing that. The law is on the side of the women in that situation. So don't position yourself as somebody who's somehow fixing a problem here. Men who impregnate women are responsible. But this is something very, very different. And by the way, we're now talking about the loss of legitimacy for the Supreme Court because you have a chief justice who probably agrees with you more than me, who said, can we at least move in an orderly manner that respects precedent and does the minimum that we can do to uphold the law? And you now have uh, 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 five judges who went the other way. What does this mean? It used to be we could at least believe that we had referees on this fight. Now you've got red uh, robes and blue robes. So the legitimacy of the Supreme Court is now in in danger. You're going to wind up in a situation, honestly, where once you get what you want and you have this, these catastrophes happening, we have no place to go. The Supreme Court is no longer respected. You would agree with me that Congress is no longer respected. The presidency, people say, he's not, he's not duly elected. Where is the legitimacy now for us to resolve something like this? A bomb has been thrown in the middle of this country, and you're not going to like the outcome.
0: Hold well, on before Casey you respond, Jerry. I, the I the do want to talk to you about this idea of legitimacy and this idea of people are saying, can we stop now saying that this is uh, a completely um, apolitical body. Are they correct in saying that?
2: Yeah, I'm afraid they are. I mean, you know, it, it used to be that that by uh, going with the notions of judicial restraint, stare decisis, following their precedent, taking ir- incremental steps, really only deciding the matter that was exactly in front of the court. That's how they had integrity. That's how they had credibility. People knew that they were only deciding what was in the four corners of the case before them. They didn't give overly broad pronouncements about what else should be the, the law. And, and that's how the court had credibility for so many years. They have now completely jumped the rails. I mean, in the Dobbs case, this is the point of Justice Roberts' concurrence, which you mentioned. He says, you know, we didn't have to go this far. No one had to overrule Roe versus Wade. Mississippi proposed a 15-week ban we should say, okay, that's okay, that's constitutional. We don't need to overturn Roe versus Wade. I mean, that's how they lose credibility. You know, there's, a, there's a Occam's razor, right? It's, it's whatever is the simplest and most obvious explanation it's probably the right explanation. When you look at Dobbs, when you look at the gun case and you start to see that they're legally indefensible, they're grasping at straws, they're selectively using history, they're not using judicial restraint, they're not following their own precedent, what's the most logical conclusion, the simplest explanation? That this is a results-driven ideological decision and that's how they got to where they are. They have the numbers now, they're gonna do what they wanna do and we're seeing it in abortion, guns, Religion, First Amendment, we're about to see it in administrative law next week or maybe tomorrow, and it's just off the rails. Carrie, I'll give you the last word, but quickly.
5: Occam's razor, the simplest explanation, is there a right to an abortion in the Constitution? No. Therefore, the court recognized that. The Casey case in the 90s tried to do exactly what you're saying. It waffled. It said, let's have this be, you know, kind of the final word and let the states kind of work it out gradually. And it never happened. We never got clarity. And so what this happened was it it ripped the bandaid off and said, we finally have some clarity because this is clarity. This is clean. There is no constitutional right. Not to mention there were 26 states, I want to point out, that signed on and asked Dobbs to be overturned or or the abortion so-called right to be overturned. That's 26 states who already agreed. And I will just point this out
0: that for 49 years, each of these justices have reaffirmed and reaffirmed and reaffirmed. Uh, The Supreme Court has reaffirmed this. So that is one of the issues that a lot of people are concerned about, this reaffirmation, and now that has all changed in 2022. All right, everybody stick around. We're just learning about security concerns tonight, about a witness at Tamari's last-minute January 6th committee hearing. That discussion is coming up next. So this just happened minutes ago. I'm learning about it with you. Uh, we learned why the January 6th Select Committee is being so secretive about tomorrow's witness list. A source familiar with the plan tells CNN the committee is concerned about the security of a potential witness and is taking new precautions. That's news is coming. As John Eastman, Trump's former election attorney, says, the FBI seized his phone. This is video of that moment. We are back with our panel, Van Jones, Jennifer Rogers, and Carrie Sheffield. Uh, Thank you for sticking around with me. Uh, Van, I'm going to turn to you first. We hear from the committee, this is all of a sudden, they weren't supposed to do this for a while. People are off. They had left. Right. Um, That they are now going to do this new hearing tomorrow Mm -hmm. and that they've got, assuming they've got something Big? I mean, would they make this announcement now if they didn't? It's, it's,
1: it's got to be something very, very big, and it's got to be a, a name of somebody who's either a big name or somebody who is really in fear of their life. This is a very, very big deal. Um, people, uh, Eastman is saying that they shouldn't have grabbed his phone. What Eastman has to understand is he's an attorney, which means you can help your client if they commit a crime. You can't help your cli- client commit a crime. Right. <laughs> and that's the danger that I think he finds himself in. I think the FBI thinks he was trying to help his client- commit a crime. And so that's a big part of this.
0: That's a big difference. Um, We have heard from Eastman, who uh, went on Fox and said they didn't give him all the information. This was, you know, illegally done. Um, When the FBI goes about doing something like this, could he be right?
2: I mean, anything's possible. But listen, the FBI gets a search warrant from a judge. They have to show probable cause to believe that that phone contains evidence of a federal crime and it still contains evidence of a federal crime. Not that it did back in 2001, late 2000, 2021 or late 2020, but that it does today. Uh, That can be evaluated. I mean, he has motions he can make. This will all be in court in front of a judge. You know, they, they won't start looking. Until they first establish a taint team, meaning that whoever first looks at the information on the phone will make sure there's no attorney-client privilege information in there. Uh, And apparently they're doing a two-step process where they did a seizure warrant to get the phone, and then they're going to do a separate warrant to search the phone. So there will be lots of due process here, lots of opportunities for him to challenge this warrant and make sure that it's all on the up and up. I'm sure he will avail himself of all of his possible motions. He's already started filing them. So the courts will sort it out. But it's very, very hard to overcome this determination of probable cause—I mean, a judge can review it—but it doesn't take a lot to show probable cause. So the likelihood is he will not get his phone back. We may get a privilege review that pulls some of that right. information back, like we saw in the Michael Cohen search warrant. Um, but you know, I think they're going to be able to go through that phone and see what is not legitimately privileged, and then use that in the investigation. We're, looking,
0: we're talking about texts, we're talking about emails, we're talking about voicemails, we're talking about all of the things that might be in that phone, um, Carrie. What do you make of the hearing so far? And given that this new information has come forward, who this might be as each segment of this goes forward, it's closer and closer to Donald Trump.
5: Yeah, I mean, I I, I, I know I speak for many people. We did want to actually get to the bottom of what happened with January 6th. We wanted a thorough bipartisan, fair process that allowed for cross-examination of the witnesses. We have not gotten that. And, And your colleague, Dana Bash, has been very good about asking... Why aren't there other witnesses here providing the other perspective or allowing for cross examination? It's a very fair question that she asked. And so, unfortunately, what this process has become is a one-sided carnival barking to try to come after Donald Trump. That's all this is about. Unfortunately, it's not about getting to the truth of what happened. For example, we don't know but we what heard, happened let, let, with let me, Nancy Pelosi and whether she— We heard she from
0: Republicans who stood up from their state, secretaries of state, who stood up and said, I was pressured— I was, you know, coerced or tried, President Trump tried to push me to a certain decision to find 11,000 votes. There are Republicans that have spoken and there are Republicans on this committee. So how could this be anything but an honest look at what happened on January 6th? I mean, do you believe that there was an insurrection on January 6th, that there was an attack on the Capitol?
5: absolutely it was an attack on the Capitol, and and people who who committed this crime need to be prosecuted and and punished to the full extent of the law absolutely no doubt about that but i think that the security lapse and the security failure so that you know in 2020 i was a reporter covering the white house when president trump was in office and there were times when there were rioters blm rioters and others who were there i felt physically unsafe going there we, there was video of senator rand paul who was there he felt physically unsafe and what but did that's, what but did, that's, no no but that's, no, no, that's very different no, no, it's than not. a whole I, of
0: people breaking into no, 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 the Capitol but, but the, itself. But the difference
5: was the way that it was, the response was that President Trump called in the National Guard to protect the grounds. And he approved thousands of troops for, to protect the grounds of the Capitol. And we still don't know why Nancy Pelosi and Mayor Bowser refused the protection of, of those troops. But that, and that does not answer excuse has, those no one has ever,
0: who went in and who pushed this Absolutely
5: it doesn't. Forward, but I'm talking about yeah. the destruction of the Capitol, the, the, the destruction of federal property, the destruction of, of the process of the vote. That is horrific.
0: i got to wrap this up. We are coming back van jones jennifer rogers and carrie sheffield i thank you all for being here tense moments at some of the protests after the roe ruling is violence becoming the default in political discourse we just talked about some of it that's coming up next Rose reversal fueling passions, anger over the Supreme Court's decision showing no signs of cooling. In Arizona, Friday's protest outside the state capitol ended in a cloud of tear gas. Police made the call after the protesters started pounding on the glass doors of the state Senate building. Nobody got into that building, but there was damage done to public memorials across the street. While there were zero arrests there, the nature of political protests in this country seems to have shifted, and this is not isolated to any one party. My next guests see that reality in Arizona. Talk show host Mike Broomhead and Clint Hickman, vice chair of the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors, who stood up to pressure from former President Trump to interfere with the 2020 election. All right, gentlemen, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having us. All right. Let's talk about this this issue of uh, things
6: going off the rails, if you will. What do you think has changed? Here we are, my party, angry people on my side of the aisle, aisle and should be furious, as we all should be, that there are protests and violent protests and threats against Supreme Court justices. But go back six months or a year, whenever it was, there were over 100 people from my side of the aisle out in front of his house where he had to have sheriff's deputies. Uh, making threats of arrests and scaring his wife and his children and his neighbors. So if both sides don't agree that there is extremism on both sides and we don't all shout it down, I think this is going to happen for a long time until both sides say it has to stop, whether it's our side of the aisle or the other side of the aisle.
0: Mike, I want to address that. We were looking at some of the video um, outside uh, of of Clint's house uh, where people did show up. And we're seeing this more and more where protesters, whether you are uh, on the left or you are on the right, are showing up at people's homes, whether it is a Supreme Court justice, uh, as happened recently, or it is a politician that you disagree with. But in this case, weren't they people who were Republicans? That showed up at your house, Mike.
7: Yeah, I'll take I'll I'll take that one, Mike. (laughs) Yeah, they were. It was on a on a a Sunday night. Um, Some people uh, were upset with uh, the board certifying the vote in 2020. They showed up, and um, the good thing is I had a little bit of a drop on it. Uh, Some people called me and gave me a couple hours to prepare, and because of that, I was able to have a couple sheriff deputies there uh, to greet them as they uh, came down my street. And also uh, had a little, a little time to warn my neighbors. And this is the part that I'm really concerned with, especially with the Supreme Court justices. You have people coming into residential areas. Um, you know, those Supreme Court justices, justices were appointed to a position. I ran for this position. But the neighbors, my neighbors, their neighbors, never would have considered uh, people walking down the street and screaming horrible things. Uh, they're there to live and grow their families. So it has to stop.
0: Mike, when you speak to your listeners, and I I know they are very passionate, um, what do Mm -hmm. they tell you fuels their anger and what might push them to cross that line?
6: You know, and I don't get, to be honest, I haven't talked to many people that are talking about that anger other than they feel like the election was stolen and that the only way to get their point across is to be violent. There was a a protester, I was watching TV before I came here, and uh, there was a protester, they were talking about not being able to get into our state capital because fencing is now erected around it. And someone was upset about it. And this protester said, if this is the only way we can get our point across, this is what we're going to do. And that's a horrible way to think. And none of us should condone it. Clint, you have felt that pressure from the most powerful man on the
0: planet. You refused to take former President Trump's calls because he was trying to have an influence on the 2020 election. What was that like, and how have people responded to you?
7: I didn't take the call. Um, I'm still incredibly happy I didn't take the call, because if I would have taken the call, who knows where that would have gone. Um, I know for a fact it would have gone one place. I would have probably been on Washington, D.C., testifying right alongside Speaker of the House Rusty Bowers, because we were dealing with some of the same pressures from the same people. Uh, And I couldn't, you know, his testimony would have would have been my testimony at that at that time.
0: Can I ask you one last question? Do you both agree that if leadership politicians in the in the view of all people who are supposed to be leaders are using language like enemy, like evil, when they're talking about specific people or talking about a group of people, that that is helping to fuel this push towards very high anger and potential
6: violence? I agree 100%. And I would extend that also to people like you and I that are in the media business at any capacity, whether they're journalists or talk radio opinion people, I agree with you. Anybody that's got a loud voice like that, if they're doing that, they're perpetuating that kind of anger.
7: And, and I would like to say, I don't I don't like the use of militaristic terms or threats of violence and, and calling people straight out evil. Um, I've always been brought up to the point where the Republicans are a team and the Democrats are a team and our teams are going to contest and hopefully win their elections and, and push this, uh, this country forward. I do not like uh, the use of any types of, of pejoratives that say other people are evil uh, for trying to get their point across. It's just, not, it's just not right.
0: Gentlemen, thank you for coming on. Clint Hickman and Mike Groomhead, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for sticking with me. I'll be back Wednesday night. Don Lemon Tonight starts right now.